Good evening. Glad you're here tonight. Glad for those who are joining us online. We are in the second half of Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 13 and 14. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, the pull of sin uh, on us versus the freedom that we uh, have through God's grace for us. And we're going to continue a little bit to talk about that. It tells us here, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. And uh, as we look at that, did you know that a person can be officially set free, but yet still be imprisoned? And that is true in the physical, but also true in the spiritual. You can be set free, but not act upon that freedom, and you might as well still be in prison. My Uncle Ken gives an illustration that, for instance, if someone has an addiction, they could have been set free from that, but yet never walk out of the cell. And so it's the same as if they're still imprisoned or held by that. Uh, the Lord set them free, but they never acted in that manner, didn't act like a free person. In the days of uh, the slaves being set free, we saw a very similar thing, that some either didn't receive word that they were free, or that they never acted upon it because they were comfortable, in one sense, in the slavery because they didn't know anything else. Uh, as we look at the hold of sin and the freedom of God's grace, it's important for us to really capture this thought that we can be officially or truly set free, or how you want to state that, yet still be imprisoned. If a person has been a prisoner for a long time, they think and act like a prisoner, sometimes even when they've been set free. There are movies that show that. Uh, one movie in particular that I'm thinking of, this older gentleman had been in jail for 40-something years. And when he was set free, he tried to work a job. He tried to act like someone who was free, but never really could become a part of that freedom. It actually ends up, I mean, it's a sad movie, but he ends up killing himself because he can't deal with freedom because he's been imprisoned for so long. And so it, it does really happen. It happens in the physical, but also in the spiritual. Uh, and here Paul is showing us that we need to not act like a prisoner. Now, the only person that you can tell not to act like a prisoner is someone who's been set free. Because if you're still bound by sin, I can't tell you to act like something that you're not. But when you have been set free, it's legitimate to me, for me to tell you, well, act like you've been set free. Act like you have been released from 
the hold. Now, can I tell you that sin has quite a hold whenever you're in sin and you're enslaved to sin. It has a large hold on your life. Uh, that's why you see people who, who have been saved. They have made that commitment to the Lord, yet sometimes it's a process for them to, oh, I've been, you know, they start to react and act in the way that they were when they were still in sin, and then they have to remember and become acquainted with what does it really mean to be saved and to be set free from those sins. So we, we see that that does happen. So Paul's showing us here in this chapter how to build the habits of freedom in your Christian life. That's really kind of what this half of this chapter is about. And he tells us, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So the first is this key to walking in the freedom that Jesus won for us. Jesus won the freedom for us. We have been set free, not because of what we did. We didn't get just get better. We didn't just quit sinning because we wanted to. We were unleashed from sin because of what Christ has done. And he defeated sin, and death and hell and the grave. All those things that the Bible tells us that he defeated. So we're not to present the parts of our body to the service of sin. How many knows that the devil will use your physical body to keep you in sin? He will tempt you with things that you see, your eyes. He will tempt you with things that you hear, your ears. He will tempt you with going places that you shouldn't go, your feet. All of those kinds of things. And here Paul is telling us, don't yield to that. Don't allow the parts of your body to be in service to sin. The New Living Translation, I think it communicates this idea really well. It says, don't let any part of your body, and this is in your questions, don't let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sin. Your members are the parts of your body. So you're not to let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Your mouth can be used for sinning. It can speak blessings or curses. It can ingest things that it shouldn't. It can, all these things that we can do with our mouth, with our eyes, with our ears, with our hands, with our feet, uh, and we're not to yield those, any part of our body to the enemy or to the devil. It's very practical. You have eyes, don't put them into the service of sin. You have ears, don't let them be used for sin. And it's only God that will that can help us do that because a sinner has been conditioned to sin. He doesn't even think about it. I can understand how you can be conditioned for things. You can be conditioned physically when you work out, then you can do more. But you can also be conditioned in a negative way is that this is just the way I live. Uh, so uh, we need to not make sure that we're not yielding ourselves 
uh, to sin or the parts of our body to sin. And it uses a strange word there, instruments. It says, do not present your members as instruments of, an, of unrighteousness to sin. You could translate another way to translate that word instruments is weapons. So now it becomes a totally new meaning when you read it this way. Do not present your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin. We don't want the enemy to be able to use the parts of our body as a weapon that will lead us into sin. But we can use the parts of our body as a weapon against the enemy. And we can see things that are holy and righteous and react to them in the way that we ought to. And we can hear things. And one of the most healthy things that you can do you don't have to have this worship team. You don't have to call them up and have them play you a song. You can find worship music without this and expose yourself to that. And then that helps you in your walk with the Lord. You can expose your eyes to the word. And then that's helping you be, to live in righteousness instead of unrighteousness. So we can be officially set free, but yet still imprisoned. And we don't want to yield the parts of our body as weapons or instruments or to accomplish evil. When the parts of our body are given to righteousness, they're weapons for good. When they're given to sin, they're weapons for evil. So an example of this, think about David. David is a great example of how you can be used, sin can use you, or you can, you can work in righteousness. When David's hands slayed the giant, they were being used for righteousness, for God's plan, for God's purpose, for God's will. Awesome. Way to go, David, right? But what about a little bit later on? When he's by himself in the castle or whatever you want to call it, and he isn't out with the men fighting like he's supposed to be, leading the battle. Instead, he's staying home relaxing, and he looks out over the castle into the, uh, the land there, and he sees Bathsheba, and he desires her, and he wants for her, and he calls for her, and he commits sin. His eyes were used for unrighteousness at that point. His hands had been used for righteousness to slay the giant, his eyes had been used for unrighteousness when he looked upon Bathsheba with that lust. So, so it tells us to present ourselves to God. And that is key. We have to present ourselves to God. God, use me. God, I yield my life to you. Every part of me, you are allowed to use God. I yield everything to you. That's that's what this is saying. It says, present your body, present yourself, the wholeness, your whole being to God. So that's, that's a key in order to be able to walk in freedom that Jesus won for us. We must be submitted to him. It is not enough to take the weapons away from the service of sin. They must be enlisted in the service of righteousness. So you can say, I'm not going to use my body to sin and you're only halfway there. 
Now, the way to work for righteousness is to say, God, those things and those parts of my body that used to be used for sin, now I'm going to yield them to you and you can use them for your pleasure and for your good and for righteousness. And so that's the complete picture that we're uh, looking at here. And it tells us that sin shall not have dominion over you. It shall not reign. It shall not rule over you is what it means. Uh, you are not subject to sin as a Christian. A sinner has to sin, but you do not have to sin. But we're going to kind of spell that out and make that more clear. Sin does not have to have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So it'll never be a work of legalism where you work for this righteousness. It comes because of God's grace, because of God's mercy and our yielding to him. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. So the law here is God's standards, God's words. And we know that we'll always fall short of that, but yet God provides grace for us. We will always fall short of it, but it doesn't give us, we've been talking about, us license to just sin for the sake of we want to. Grace provides the freedom and the power to live over sin. So we're not under the law, but under grace. Paul is showing here that in light of the new covenant, that we're in a different state. We're not imprisoned to sin. We're not subject to it. It has no dominion over us, and we're only subject to God's grace. So when we look at this, way back at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul has asked this question, should we just sin so that grace abounds? And he's coming here and he's saying, no, you don't, you don't, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't uh, be yielding yourself to sin, but yielding yourself to God. And this is sin that is not occasional, but living in sin. There's no reason for a Christian to try to live in sin. It shouldn't be, obviously. What is this telling us? It is incompatible for a new creation in Jesus, and that's what you are as a Christian, to be comfortable in habitual sin. So that's what we were talking about. Verse 1 was talking about habitual sin. As we get further into this chapter, matter of fact, in, a, in just a couple of verses, we're going to talk about not habitual sin, but occasional sin, but yet not accidental sin, but occasional sin. There's a difference. You still shouldn't be doing occasional sin, is what this, this is saying. That we don't have to. But yet, when we get into some other scriptures, it's going to define to us that every person still will sin, but we've been set free from that. So it, it's a uh, it's an interesting thing that we, as we look at it, Charles Spurgeon said this, the grace, because that's the power that helps us live outside of sin and not help to sin, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. So grace ought to make a difference in the way that you live. Grace is never an excuse to live however you want to. Grace is the power to live like God wants you to live. 
a change of mindset. God has so changed your nature when you become saved through his grace that you should be like a fish out of water whenever you sin. It should feel uncomfortable. You should know it. It should feel like this is not right. This I shouldn't be in this state doing this thing. The Holy Spirit will do that for you, right? If you allow it. If you don't allow your conscience to be seared and you uh, submit when the Holy Spirit comes and says, now you felt that, you know that wasn't right, you, you feel like a fish out of water, we should not feel comfortable in that. Look at Romans 6.15. It sounds like, it looks like in many ways, verse 1 of chapter 6, but it's different. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. First of all, Paul has said we don't need to live a life of habitual sin. And now he's looking at something that is not a habitual or continuous sin, but simply dabbling in sin. We know all of this, and I'm not going to get into all of this detail, but we know all of this because when you go take it down to the original Greek, it tells you the tenses of the verbs and all those kinds of things, and it tells us this is not the habitual sin that he talked about in verse 1. This is a dabbling, an occasional sinning. Well, it's a different question. It doesn't look like, looks like the same question as verse 1, but it's a little different. So Paul's He's asking this question. So then, if we can't habitually sin, can we? What about just occasionally? Right? And do we have license to do that? So, shall we sin? It's a different tense. Uh, it's not the habitual sin, but it is a different version of sinning, referring to a single act, not a lifestyle of sinning. So let's read verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. There's a lot in this. First statement is really this. Whatever you give yourself to or present yourself to obey, that is the thing that you have become a slave to. So let me give a good example and one that we might all be able to relate to. If I obey my appetite constantly and never watch what I'm eating, overindulge and eat things that are bad for me and I'm only obeying my appetite. We'll eat too much if we just go by our appetite. And we'll eat bad things for us. I love sweets. Not the biggest fan of breads. Love pasta. You know what I found? That when I pull those back to a regular level, not an overindulgence level in my life, in other words, 
I'm not being controlled by my appetite. That's what I want to eat. I want sweets and I want pasta and I want all those things. But when I bring them down to a normal level, my body is healthier. I don't have acid reflux. I feel better. I'm not bloated. I'm not all these things, right? So how, how does this relate? So if I only obeyed my appetite, I would be a slave to, to my appetite. So we have a choice in what we are a slave to. The Bible here tells us sin leads to death. Obedience leads to righteousness. That's what it's telling us. So I can decide to sin. But sin ultimately leads to death. Adam and Eve, when they took of the fruit, they died. You know, Pastor, they lived a long time. They would have never died had they not taken and disobeyed the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. That they were made and created to live forever. But when they sin, the result is death. But when we choose to obey, then we are obeying and that leads to righteousness. One way or another, you're going to serve something. You're either going to sin and serve sin, or you're going to obey and serve and react in righteousness. The Bible tells us that we always serve somebody. Matter of fact, it gives us warnings. Don't serve other gods. Little g. It says don't serve money and God. They're incompatible to serve money over God. That's what he says. So we have to make that choice. Does that mean you can't have any money? No, that's not what that means. But it means what is your God? Right? Is your God money? Is every focus and every thing in your life pushing towards having more money and more things? Uh, then if it is, then we're enslaved to that. So though you were slaves of sin, I love that this is past tense. You used to be, is the way I would have said it probably, enslaved to sin. Back in the day, before you knew Christ, before you became a Christian, before you yielded your life to him, you were enslaved to sin. Past tense. But now you've been set free. You've been free. You're no longer a slave. And we're set free by our faith and our obedience that we do from the heart. That's important. Obedience from the heart. When you have little kids, I mean, those that you can make them obey. Physically, you can take them and make them obey. You can tell them to obey, and they might reluctantly do it, and only do it if you're watching. But if they're obedient from the heart, and we're obedient from the heart when it comes to serving the Lord, then it's all about the attitude. So if you're obeying and you have a bad attitude, if you're obeying what the Lord told you to do and you have a bad attitude, that's not good, folks. We need to have the right attitude and the right heart towards the Lord because he knows the difference. So we need to have obedience from the heart. 
So that's, that's the faith that God uh, and the obedience that God is looking for. And it talks here about, a, at least in the King James, New King James, it talks about having a form of doctrine. And this is not a negative description. There, there is a, a form, a standard. I mean, those that all standards aren't bad, right? Uh, so this is what this is talking about. It's a form. When you put your faith in God and in his word, then that makes you free. And you live every day consistent with the freedom uh, that God has given to you. So you can be legally free. You can uh, and still choose to live like a prisoner. Or what Paul's saying here is, why don't you just be what you are? God made you free. So live like a free man or live like a free woman. That freedom is not freedom to sin. Actually, it's freedom to be righteous and like God. That's a, there's a freedom in that. Because now, as we get to this point, he's saying, you choose who you're going to be a slave to. You're going to be a slave to sin or a slave unto righteousness. It's your choice. As we begin to look at this, uh, we must be obedient from the heart, he says, that form of doctrine. You ever watch anybody pour concrete? Do they just like dig a hole and pour concrete in it? I mean, they could if they're just trying to get rid of it, but what do they do? They make a form. I don't know that much about it. They put studs in the ground and they form up this thing so that when they pour the concrete, it has some standard, right? It won't go outside of that form because that's what it, that form was created for was to hold that. Did you know that's what our doctrine is? Right? It's a form. It's a good thing. Many people look at doctrine as a bad thing, but it's a, it's a good thing. It's a mold that helps shape our lives. God wants to shape our lives. If not, you'd be a mess, and so would I. We need the scripture, we need doctrine, biblical doctrine, to keep us in the shape that God wants us to be in. Uh, so it, it, it's important as we, as we look at this, it says that the Holy Spirit melts us, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, they melt us, and then God pours us into His mold. So when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, that's important, and when we submit ourselves to God's Word, then God's able to shape us. We become pliable. What's the Bible? the Bible talks about having not a stony heart, but a, a fleshly heart that is uh, not fleshly in the negative, but a heart that is softened and willing to be formed to do what God wants you to do. So uh, this form of doctrine is a good thing. We want God to be able to shape us and mold us. How many are different than you were when you first got saved? I'm glad I'm not the same, right? There were some things I didn't know, some things I didn't live like I ought to live, some th you know, all those things. Uh, so I want to be shaped and formed like God wants me uh, to be. So why not occasionally sin? Verse 18. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What does it mean to be free from sin? To become a slave of righteousness means that sin is no longer your boss. 
Isn't that good to know? Sin's not my boss. I don't have to live by what sin tells me to do. You don't have to live by that. It's not my boss. It's not my master. And I have chosen to serve righteousness instead of sin. This gives an example here in the commentary, and I, I, I love it. Um, Christian who has been set free works for the Lord. Uh, and, and we're not saved by our works, but we that's we're saved and we're saved unto good works. So I'm working for righteousness and for God when I'm saved. But when I'm sinning, I'm working for the old man. I'm working for the old boss, if you will. If I hired you to work for me, and you work really hard from 8 a.m. to noon, and say you're painting my house, but then you went and got lunch, and you decided you're going to work for the old boss the rest of the day. That's what this is talking about. We, we shouldn't be working for the old man and the old boss. That's what he's equating this to. So he's saying, you don't have to do that. And you have to choose not to do that. You serve righteousness instead of sin. Uh, you please your new boss instead of your old boss. We're slaves of righteousness. So we're born again. Now we're slaves to righteousness. What does that mean? A slave does not follow his own will. A slave submits to the will of the master. I can't do my own thing. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to the Lord. I chose to be that, but I'm a slave to him. And I don't want to be a slave to anyone else. And I don't want to do, I want to submit my will to the Lord. So much so that my will dies and his will becomes the most important. That's what, here's what, that's what Paul's really saying. So we can no longer live as slaves to righteousness. We can no longer live on our own selfish interests. If we do, we're serving the old boss. You know how wrong that would be? I mean, just in the physical, how wrong is it to one boss to hire you and you go work for another one? It's just something that doesn't equate. It's incompatible, right? Uh, it's the same way as what Paul's saying. And those, and I appreciate Carol this a few weeks ago saying, I know we sin, but I, we shouldn't sin all the time. Yes, this is exactly what Paul's saying. We might occasionally sin, but that ought to be the exception and not the rule. That's what he's saying here. So we've been set free from sin. That means we don't have to sin again. Although sin is inevitable as long as we're on this side of eternity. First John 1 John 1.8 tells us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But there's a difference in not having in, in having sin and sin having you. We, we may have some sin in our life but sin doesn't have us. It doesn't have control of us. Because of the 
frailty of our human condition, the Christian may infrequently yield to our evil nature and sin. Have you ever opened your mouth and say something and you knew immediately that that was the old man, that was the old woman. That's the way you used to talk, the way you used to think, the way you used to react. But we know better, right? It ought to be infrequent, not habitual nor uh, purposefully, occasionally sinning. That's what Paul's saying. Don't even purpose be occasionally sin. Uh, next Tuesday, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do X. That's incompatible with the Christian life. It's mockery. It's behaving as a slave to sin rather than behaving as a slave to Christ and to righteousness. Let's read verses 19 through 23. Verse 23, you ought to know. You ought to have it memorized. Let's say that it's a part of the Roman road, and it will help you to lead people to Christ. I speak in, we're starting at verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Anybody ever feel ashamed for the old life? A time that uh, we shouldn't be held in shame, but I think it's good to understand that wasn't the way we should have been doing things. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness Fruit of righteousness is holiness, and the end of that is everlasting life. Righteousness leads to everlasting life. The next verse, verse 23, which is the one we, we all ought to have memorized. It's not that hard. It's a very short verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here Paul is saying, He's kind of repeating himself, and he's saying, present your members as slaves of righteousness. Don't show up for work for the old boss, is another way of saying that. So what fruit did you have when you were in the old way? Fruit that ended in death. So as we kind of summarize what Paul is saying in these few verses, uh, one way of summarizing that is that the end product of sin is death. King James says the wages of sin. But ultimately, if you sin and you keep sinning, what's product? Product is a mathematical term. It says that this plus this, the product of that is this. So King James is saying, from if you look at sin from a mathematical standpoint, all of these sins added together, if you keep living a lifestyle of sin, it's going to come to the sum of of death. If you're a mathematical person, that helps you. Not maybe like I'm not sure what he's really talking about. But sin, ultimately, the end product of that is death. But the opposite is true of righteousness. The end product of righteousness 
is not just life, but everlasting life. When we live in righteousness, not in our own flesh, and the, the Lord helping us to live righteously, righteously, uh, then the, the end product of that, the sum of that, is that we have eternal life. Do you see that phrase? John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Paul's coming to uh, the conclusion here. Every sinner earns his wages. They earn it. They work for it. They don't want it, the end result, but their works lead to death. When you work for someone at the end of the day or end of the week or end of the pay period, they give you what you earn. God's a just God, and if you live unrighteously and you live in sin, then he's going to give you what you earned and what you deserve, which is death. Spiritual death instead of eternal life. So how do we sum up all of this from Romans 6.15? Remember verse 1 said, should you habitually sin? The answer is certainly not. Verse uh, 15 is saying, should you occasionally, purposefully, and that's important, sin? Again, the same, certainly not. Why? What's Paul trying to establish? As a believer, there is a change. We have a change of ownership. Does the Lord own you? We have a change of ownership as believers. The Christian must fight against even occasional sin because we need to work for our new master. It's not appropriate for us to work for our old master. Kind of like the way Paul is spelling this out. Put it in terms of that we understand from the standpoint of most of us have worked at some point and earned things. And here he's saying, you know, you're if you live righteously, righteously, and you're working for your new master, there's been a change of ownership, then you'll have eternal life. If you live in sin and you work for the old master, then you'll have eternal death. What you'll have. Let's go through the questions. So a person can be officially, officially set free, but still in prison. Do not let any what? Part. Any part of your body become a, a tool of wickedness to be used for what? Sin. For sin or sin. Right. Instruments could also be translated weapons. weapons. That's correct. Question, well, fill in the blank on number four. It is what? Incompatible. Incompatible for a new creation in Jesus to be what in habitual sin? Comfortable. Comfortable. And we ought to feel like a fish out of water. Whatever you give yourself or present yourself to, what? Obey. To obey, you become its slave. slave. Right. To become a slave of righteousness means that 
Blank is no longer your blank. Sin is no longer your boss. Sin is no longer your boss. The end product of sin is death, right? The end product of it. But the end product of righteousness is everlasting life. Everlasting life. Uh, number eight, as believers, we have a change of ownership. ownership. It isn't appropriate for us to work for our own 